Welcome to the Living Joyfully Podcast, where we talk about the intricacies of being in relationship with the people in our lives. Let's dig deep, challenge paradigms, choose connection, and live joyfully. Hello, and welcome to the Living Joyfully Podcast. Navigating relationships can be challenging because we're all so different. On the Living Joyfully podcast, we dive into tools, strategies, and paradigm shifts to help you decrease conflicts and increase connection in your most important relationships. We talk about concepts like self-awareness, compassion, context, consent, and so much more. If you're new to the podcast, we encourage you to go back and listen to the earlier episodes. We started with some foundational relationship ideas that are so helpful to have in your toolbox. And if you've already been enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you would subscribe and share. We really appreciate your support as it grows. You can learn more about all that we're doing at livingjoyfully.ca. Today's episode is part of the parenting series, and we're going to be looking at behaviors. (laughs) Much of conventional parenting advice is centered around changing behaviors. That's usually attempted through punishments or rewards, which are really just two sides of the same coin of control. What's missing is an understanding of what the behaviors are telling us. Behaviors are at the surface. They are the clue to what's going on at a deeper level. When we focus our attention on that surface level behavior, we're missing what's really happening for the child or person involved. And it's frustrating and usually fruitless practice to try to manipulate behavior without understanding the why behind it. This is especially true if you want to have a healthy, connected relationship with the person. It's true that we can change behavior through coercion and bribes, but often at the expense of our connection and our understanding of one another. Yeah, definitely. Behaviors stem from something. We have reasons for the things we do, as do the other adults in our life. (laughs) And the same goes for children. They are people too. Whether or not they can explain why they did something is different. Sometimes adults can't explain (laughs) their reasoning either. But yes, behaviors are clues to what's going on at a deeper level. Right. It's important to understand that behaviors are outward expressions of needs. We do things in order to meet our needs. We make food when we're hungry. We may call a friend when we're upset. We may stomp through the house when we're mad to get some energy out. You know, those things we do are behaviors. When we understand that behind every behavior is a need, we start to see that the behaviors are a clue, just a piece of the puzzle. If we want to understand the person in front of us, we want to understand the need driving the behavior. If the behavior happens to be undesirable for whatever reason, the most lasting way to get rid of it is to meet that need. And while we're focusing on parenting and children in this episode, it's really the same for every relationship. When we think of behavior as a clue, it changes the energy around difficult exchanges. We're bringing an open, curious mindset to the situation to solve the puzzle. What's driving this behavior that's causing problems? Problems, behaviors that can range from fighting with a sibling to not brushing their teeth. You know, turning first to halt gives us a quick check-in about needs that often drive behaviors. And we've talked about it before, but just a quick reminder is to see if the person is hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. These are contextual things that impact behavior and meeting the need will stop that behavior quickly. The thing is, 
kids want to fit into a family system. It's biological because it's needed for survival, but things can get in the way, things that may not, they may not be able to articulate. And that's what we want to help them discover what's driving a particular behavior. Not only so we can eliminate the behavior that might be causing disconnection or even harm, but so that they can start to learn about how to recognize the need themselves and choose ways to get that need met that actually helps them stay connected, which furthers, you know, the goal for them. And and I would say HALT is probably at play with like 75% of issues, but, you know, there can be so many other things too, you know, a tough day at school, a mistake made earlier that they keep replaying, worrying about something in the future, stress in the family, worrying about things that are happening in the world. Needs can range from things like needing certainty, you know, needing to feel safe, needing to feel connected, needing to process, needing to be alone, needing to be heard, and on and on. There isn't a formula, but the better you know one another and as trust is built, the easier it will be to uncover the needs through inquiry and conversation. Keeping in mind that these are not like long sit-down conversations, but gentle inquiry with the energy that you want to help and understand. Even just saying, I'm here, I want to understand, can go a long way. Remembering there is always an underlying need, and that's where we find the solutions to address any behavior we're seeing. Yes, yes. It is really helpful to remember that exploring behaviors to uncover needs is a process. It's often not solved in a one and done long drawn out conversation. I love that phrase you use, gentle inquiry. So maybe in one passing conversation, we validate their frustration, how their action or reaction was their best choice in that moment. We love them. Maybe another time we share an observation like, you know, it was the end of a long day and a few things had already gone sideways. Maybe next time we won't try to do another thing. And each time we can leave space for them to continue the conversation or to move on. And we can pay extra attention to any time they approach us, maybe wanting to talk about what happened. We want them to feel our support of their processing, whatever it looks like, right? And in the meantime, we can be doing our own processing as well. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Whenever we're reacting to a behavior, it is a very good time to take a look at what's being triggered in us because ultimately our reaction is our responsibility. Nobody is making us feel a certain way. We're responsible for how we feel. And that is a whole nother episode <laughs> that we will get into because it's really an important nuance. But when we're seeing a disturbing behavior or behavior we don't understand, it's so helpful to look at the context. You know, our first inclination is to look at the person. What's wrong with them? Why are they being so difficult or mean? Why are they doing this thing? But so often context is playing a role. How was their day? Did something happen at school? Is there something going on with friends? Are they worried about something that's coming up? You know, starting from a place of curiosity and assuming positive intent allows us to look beyond an offending behavior to see the person in front of us, a person who might be hurting or in need of help. And understanding the context helps us not to go to that place of condemning the person or the relationship. And it helps our children learn to understand and articulate how something is impacting them instead of just lashing out. They can start to give words to what they're feeling. 
And it's really helpful if we start using the language of context in our days. And I like to call it narrating. You know, it's things like it was such a long day today. I did not eat enough. And I can tell already I'm feeling snappy. <laughs> you know, Like I'm exhausted and I can tell I might lose my temper if I don't go to bed soon. Narrating what's going on for us does a couple of things. So it helps those around us to know that our foul mood isn't about them. And it helps model for our children how to understand context and communicate about it and the impact of it with the people around them. Our job then becomes to listen when they communicate to us. When they tell us that they're too tired to do something or they've had a tough day, listen and give them space or an extra cuddle or a listening ear. While we don't always understand why someone feels the way that they do, we want to trust in their knowledge and honor it. And again, it goes so far to helping build our connection and our understanding. Yes, just to help them feel seen and heard in that moment, right? Because yeah, the uh, the underlying need is just more context that we can gain for that behavior in question. When we judge that behavior is bad, we send the message that we don't love them when they behave that way, right? So they're feeling misunderstood. They're feeling unloved for who they are. And they're feeling alone, most likely. Because when we keep the conversation focused on the behavior, we miss the opportunity to help them process what happened. So maybe uncover the underlying need or at least just get a little bit closer. It may take a while to find the root and then more time to find other ways to meet the need. Again, it's a process, right? And I definitely found sharing my own processing to be helpful, not in that big sit down (laughs) conversation way, (laughs) but in sharing bits and pieces here and there, as in your great narrating examples, right? It definitely helps them see that my behaviors are about me, not about them and also about how I process things, right? Not with the expectation that they process the same way. What it's communicating is that processing has value. It helps us understand ourselves and each other a bit better. It helps us move through the more challenging times a bit more gracefully with a little bit less damage to our connection. And that having hard times isn't just a kid thing, right? Adults have them too. It's a human thing. (laughs) Oh my gosh, absolutely. It's kind of strange, actually, how we seem to have this expectation that kids are going to always act with intention and make choices that, you know, we deem as right when so often, you know, as adults, we do not. So it is an interesting kind of double standard to keep an eye out for. You know, sometimes the issue is a behavior that isn't happening. (laughs) So, you know, teeth not being brushed, homework not being done, plates not being brought back to the kitchen. You know, when we're facing a behavior that isn't happening, it, it helps to ask what's making it hard. Again, bringing an open, curious mindset means we're open to hearing about their experience, and that helps us find solutions together because it's under the behavior or lack of that we gain a better understanding and find the solutions. Adjusting at that surface level really can only happen through rewards or punishment, and you not only impact the relationship, but you're much less likely to have a plan that sticks because you haven't identified or addressed the needs or the barriers at all. And so I remember reading this story. Um, It's from a popular psychologist who's a fan of gentle approach to parenting. 
And the question that was posed to her was, my child refuses to turn off the light and I feel like it's a waste of energy and money, but nothing I'm saying is working. So the advice of the psychologist that she gave was to remove the light bulb. And then she went on to explain that the solution worked because the child became scared and then learned her lesson. I think this is a really great example where we can peel back and look at what it would look like to explore the underlying needs instead. So if we don't get anywhere from asking a child specifically about a hate behavior or to stop doing it, I want to start looking more closely and watch for clues. It could be something where she simply forgets. If that's the case, well, we could work on figuring out a reminder together. Maybe a sign on the door would be enough. It could be that the light is hard to reach. She's leaving the room and books in her arms and she can't reach the light. So maybe rigging a string to the light or push button light might solve it. What's interesting in this case is that we were given the additional information that she was scared and that's why she, quote, learned. So knowing that she was scared, I would really want to explore that piece with her. Hey, do you feel safer with the light on? Is it that you don't like entering a dark room? I don't always love entering a dark room. You know, question along those lines can serve two purposes. It helps me get to the bottom of the behavior, but it also connects me with the child. She knows I'm interested in what her experience is. And then I can learn how she's seeing the world and what her perception of the situation is. And I can gain a better understanding of how our perceptions may differ. And at that point, we can look at what about a nightlight that comes on automatically when the room gets dark or switch to LED types lights that don't cost very much and meet my need for energy efficiency and meet her need for a light. You know, and in the end, I might just say, you know what, those few pennies a day to leave the light on, I'm okay with that for my child to feel safe. And I think what's key with any kind of conflict is to move beyond the surface. With this example, we have one person who wants the light on, one person who wants the light off. You know, those seem like diametrically opposed views. But if we peel back and say, okay, but what's happening underneath of that, then we can find solutions that feel good to both parties and that actually meet both of their needs, even though that solution was not the solution that worked, the turn it off or leave it on. And that's what I love about looking beyond the behavior to the underlying needs, because I think so often we feel like we're faced with these situations that seem completely unsolvable. How are we ever going to bridge this gap? But when we start looking at the needs that are driving the behaviors, we can usually find, oh, yeah, what about this? What about that? Oh, yeah, that would work. It opens up this creativity piece that just is a game changer. Yes, because it's that creative piece that I love so much now. (laughs) When we have two or more needs that are at first pointing in different directions, what are other possibilities? And I just love your light example. What if I don't want to scare my child into doing what I want them to do? And, you know, as you were talking about that, it reminded me of the general parenting conversations around the idea of natural consequences. Yeah. Sometimes parents seem to be setting up their kids for what they call, quote, natural consequences, almost wanting things to go wrong. It just feels like another guise for punishment to teach them a lesson. But there really are so many other possibilities. And we don't need to first find the right answer and then implement it. 
each time we try something, we learn a little bit more through the experience. So how did it go? Did it work for you? Did it work for me? What felt a bit off? Knowing what we know now, how might we tweak it? So, you know, maybe at first it's like, oh, yeah, I just forget, right? To turn off the light. So we put up the sign and it's still happening. Oh, so, you know, maybe it's not just forgetfulness, uh, you know, and then we can dig a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and we try different things. And then eventually we really do get to that fear piece because it just subconsciously not wanting to turn it off doesn't bring to mind to remember to do it. Right. right? So you can absolutely see how at first we can think it's just a forgetfulness thing. But really, once we get underneath and find what that root need is, it's a whole different set of possible solutions that can come up for us, right? Again, it is a process. <laughs> I think yeah. that's a really big takeaway. It really is. It's a process. And when in one that I would say is so much more enjoyable than this kind of bickering and power play business, because again, there's just such a different energy about, hey, let's try this, or this isn't feeling good to me. So let's try these things. And yeah, okay, that worked, but that part didn't, you know, it becomes this just exchange we're having with the person in our life to get to a place where we both feel good. And I mean, I don't know, that's just such a different energy than this, you know, ah, punishment and reward and, you know, anger and bickering. And so I don't know, like, I would much rather spend my time working with my child than arguing. And that goes really for anybody. You know, that's the happy connecting work. And is the it's just the energy that I want to cultivate in my home and in my life and with the people in my life. So, I know yeah. because the people in my family, they're the ones I want to feel like we're a team together, mm -hmm. trying to figure things out not at odds with each other you know it doesn't mean again you know that we don't argue that we, yeah. uh, behaviors and things don't happen that you know are feel disconnecting or are hard for us yet we can still bring that energy of figuring it out together it doesn't need to be um, doesn't need to come to a head as a conflict where one needs to be right and one needs to be wrong. Or as a parent, I need to have power over my child and tell them to do my answer because I think it's right. And it's right because it would be the right answer for me. And our kids are different and our kids are people. And what the underlying need for them that they are trying to meet is important and is valuable. And when we come at it with that energy of being a team and figuring it out together, oh my gosh, like it changes the, changes the energy of the home. It uh, increases connection, cultivates that connection that we want to have with them. And they learn so much more about yeah. themselves, right? Yeah. And that's something that will last them their whole lifetime. Yeah, it's really true. And it is so important to remember that, you know, what solution makes sense to us may not make some, you know, make sense to our child or to our spouse or to our friend. You know, we're all different. <laughs> we're going to keep saying it. And it's not that our idea is wrong. It's the right answer for us. And it's okay to present it and let's have it as a conversation piece but always remembering that it may or may not resonate with the person in front of us. And if I want to learn and be connected to this person, I want to give space to understand where they're coming from. So yeah, so important to remember that. <laughs> okay, so here are some quick questions and ideas to think about this week. 
So this week, notice um, your own behaviors and take a moment to contemplate the underlying need that you're trying to address. You know, often we act or react in the same way over and over again without thinking about it because it's kind of become a habit. So just bringing some intentionality back to considering the need at play I think can just be really, this can be a really helpful process, you know, again, because like, hey, what am I trying to meet with this need of this behavior that maybe even a behavior that I do all the time? So I think that can be bring that intentionality. Yeah, I do think that, I mean, it's it's a lot easier to start with us because, uh, you know, we're, we're making the choices, we're doing our things and we're behaving in the ways that, that are working for us. But I do find it so interesting to start with things, you know, that maybe have become a habit for us because, you know, they were a habit back when, when that was maybe the best way for us to meet that need. But to take a little bit of time to remember, because once we have the habit and the action, we do that without thinking pretty much, right? That's kind of the right. of a habit. So when we can take a moment to like, oh, yeah, so why am I doing it that way? And going back to the underlying need, we may find that there is a new way or a different way to address it that makes more sense for us now. So even if we don't extend it anywhere else, we can still be in And it's going to help you communicate about it, too. So if someone doesn't understand that behavior and you figure out what the need is, that's much more easy to communicate to someone else than like why a behavior maybe they don't understand. Mm-hmm. Okay, so next week, um, so number two, next week with some more self-awareness under our belt, try narrating a choice or two a day, including the need that you're taking care of to your children. You know, just, you know, give a sentence or two lightly, no expectation of a response from them, none of that, but just start to kind of narrate a little bit more about your day and why you're feeling a certain way or why you're doing something and just see how that feels and how it kind of lands and what, how that can it can definitely smooth things. It just helps people kind of understand where we're coming from or what's going on for us. I think that stems from I always I, it, it made such a big difference because I just always imagined people were reading my mind or right. everybody felt <laughs> the same way. So exactly one reason why I'm doing this thing. Why would anybody else wonder about it? <laughs> so that's a big thing, right? You know, I think we we kind of get told like, well, nobody can read your mind, but we really do think that people think the same way that we do. And so of course they'd make the same exact decision. No, they will not. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So three, think of a behavior from your children that is rubbing for you, you know, you know, listing out some possible underlying needs that they might be trying to satisfy with these behaviors you know, use that lens the next time it happens and see what you learn, like see how that fits. Did one of those possible needs make more sense? Did it help you kind of understand why the behavior was happening? And so I think that will be very interesting. And lastly, number four, thinking back over the last week or two, has something happened at home that impacted your child's behavior? This can help you bring awareness to the context, you know, to not focus only on the behaviors and their impact. And so, yeah, so with this question, what we're asking again is just, yeah, let's look at that broader context and how could it have impacted the behavior of the child in front of you and see how that feels to think about those pieces. Yeah, I mean, for me, once I would think bigger picture context, for like just regular everyday kind of behaviors of things going wrong. 
I really found that often I had more compassion or more empathy for the other person, child or adult, when I realized that, oh yeah, we've been really busy these last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been having to wake them up in the morning to go do the things or to get ready for school or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, maybe we discover it through halt. That way, or maybe we're just, you know, looking at the bigger picture in general. But it's it's amazing how much that context of our right. I think even if like any time we feel that little of a behavior that happens, can we just do a quick like, oh yeah, they had a lot of tests at school this week, or they had that big tournament over the weekend, or they didn't sleep well last night, or they're worried about their grandmother or their whatever. Just that quick moment to think, you know what, there are some things that could be impacting why they're a little snippier, why I'm a little snippier, why we're all feeling that way. And again, then we can narrate and bring those things out into the open. And we can say for ourselves, you know, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night and I'm feeling really tired, or I was worried about your grandmother because I know she was having this, whatever. And we can start having those conversations, which then just opens us up for that compassion for one another, for that greater understanding. And from there, just as we finish up, let's plant that seed of capacity. Just as you were talking about it right there, our children have capacity, right? And when other things are going on around them or other stresses, they have less and less capacity. You know, there's it can be that that was a big aha moment for me with my kids, too, and their behaviors was that something sets them off, which would not have set them off yesterday right. or, a ago or a month ago. And all of a sudden I'm like, what the heck? Why is that bothering them? Why is that setting them off? But recognizing that, oh, my, there were a number of other things that went wrong during the day up to that point. And that they had basically just lost their capacity to absorb something Mm -hmm. else going sideways this day or this week. So, you know, capacity applies to children just as much. And how that energy and how bringing that compassion, how that person feels heard, how that child feels loved and understood, and how it keeps us moving towards having a calmer home, a more comfortable, you know, and anyway, and boy, okay, I'm going to stop. But there's so many things here. Obviously, we keep talking about it. So thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next time. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate you being here with us as we explore ways to improve our relationships and understand ourselves better. You can find us on Instagram at Living Joyfully Podcast and join us again next time as we dig deep, challenge paradigms, choose connection, and live joyfully.